Welcome back to Global Perspectives. Today we're talking short duration with Dan Silik and Jason England, who are both global fixed income portfolio managers. And I'm Adam Hetz, of course, your host, global head of portfolio construction and strategy here at Janice Henderson. So Dan, Jason, welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, my pleasure. And so we're talking short duration today because short duration is such a hot topic for investor fixed income portfolios. Just catching you up year to date in case you've been living under a rock. We've had this historic pace of Fed hikes, which has been brutal for interest rate volatility and fixed income portfolio returns. But now we're at this point with plenty of silver lining. In fact, an inverted yield curve in the U.S., it's actually a boon to fixed income investors who now have the opportunity to increase their credit quality in portfolios and shorten their duration while also increasing yield, potentially, at least looking at the U.S. yield curve. I literally just got off a client consultation about 20 minutes ago. The gist of that conversation was for all the pain and confusion we had earlier this year and all the complicated solutions you had to take to navigate fixed income, things have gotten a lot simpler where you can be simpler, be higher quality, be lower duration and be higher yield in your fixed income. So it's great timing to have Dan and Jason here to kind of walk us through the global short duration opportunity set. And Jason, uh, we'll start with you. I first want to hear just how you're talking to investors and clients in general, the ones that just don't have short duration in their fixed income portfolios and these ones that still own only intermediate. Just what's your take on why they should have both short and intermediate duration and what are the risks of only owning intermediate duration in a fixed income portfolio right now? A great question. You know, us boring bond investors finally have something exciting to talk about with these attractive yields now that we're seeing you can actually get yield and carry in your portfolio. So one thing to be careful with is do you want to own too much duration in your portfolio? You know, want to have a less interest rate sensitivity. So that's why you would want to own some short duration right now. And these flat and inverted Global yield curves offer very attractive front-end yields, so you can take less risk in your portfolio and still get the yield of a longer intermediate-term bond fund. So it's good to have a little bit of both or a mixture or even you know place more in the front-end right now. And the one thing to, to note on that is a pause does not equal a pivot here for the Fed. Higher for longer is what they've been telling us, and the old mantra, don't fight the Fed's coming back into play here. And really, the, the last note I'd hit here is the pain to gain that we felt in fixed income this year. In ag-based portfolio, the yield's gone up close to 300 basis points, yet they are down 15%, where in ultra-short duration portfolio is about up 300 basis points in yield, yet it's only down about 1%. So that just shows you that the benefit of owning less duration right now. I like when you say the, the pain to gain, to kind of recap everything we've kind of been through this year. And that's been the gist that leads us to this silver lining, I think, on the short end of the curve. So what do you say to the folks that own intermediate and are saying, we've had this pain to gain. This is the last time you know, to kind of sell low out of intermediate and miss the pivot. It, is, it kind of goes back to your point about pause does not equal pivot. But can you expand a little bit of how you feel that the short versus intermediate might play out from here? Yeah, I mean, I think that the key thing is the Fed still has more room to go in their hiking cycle. We've priced in another 150 basis points, as we've seen in their revised dot plots at the September meeting. So there is more pain to be had, but you've already seen the movement in the front end of 350, 60 basis points, call it. So 
really you're probably not going to see that double again here in the front end. So you're only taking about a tenth of the duration risk in the front end and still getting an attractive yield versus the intermediate part of the curve where you're taking sometimes over six years in duration, yet still getting roughly around a four and a half percent yield. So the inverted curve is just benefiting the front end with more reward for the yield you're getting with less duration exposure. Okay. And then I think that the folks that don't own short duration are probably in the minority, at least in my experience so far this year in client consultations. Dan, you're based over in Sydney with Jason over in California to are part of a global team. I think most that do own short duration are really focused on the U.S. with a home bias and fixed income, at least when it comes to U.S. portfolios. So why is your strategy global and what kind of benefits do you feel you get out of a global short duration approach as opposed to just a U.S. centric approach, which seems to be most popular? And then can you just give some examples of how that global allocation should be important over the next year or two? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Adam. And look, around the world, all countries operate at different points in their economic cycle. And so that's why you want a global portfolio to take advantage of those different economic environments and economic cycles. And while, yes, the Fed is the central banker for the globe and rates globally do tend to be quite highly correlated to US rates in times of crises. But what I would say is in a time of crises, there's really one play in the playbook. And that play is to cut rates to zero and it's to dial up QE. And we saw that during the global financial crisis and we saw that in the aftermath of the COVID crisis and it did work effectively. And you, you can, I guess, call it central bank coordination to get out of these crises events. However, the environment that we're in today is quite different. And while there is some synchronicity as opposed to coordination, that synchronicity is starting to break down. Because as I mentioned, different countries are at different points in their economic cycle. And so I can reference a few here. New Zealand, as an example, the Reserve Bank of New Zealand was the first central bank to get rates into restrictive territory. It's already seen a 15% drawdown in house prices across their major cities and economic growth is slowing, which is the intent of higher rates to essentially bring demand down to combat inflation. So as we look around the globe, the New Zealand rates is, is one area where we actually like to take some exposure because we think they're nearer to the end of their hiking cycle than the Fed. Whereas you look in Europe, and Europe still has a plethora of issues from you know, the energy crisis as a result of the Russia-Ukraine war, uncertain fiscal policy, as we've seen out of the UK in the last couple of weeks, it's created a lot of volatility in markets. And the ECB was pretty slow and late, and the pace of its hiking cycle has not kept up with some of the other central banks. And so we feel that they need to move ahead and move forward. And so other trades could be shorting European rates and you can essentially put on compression trades. So whether it's New Zealand versus Europe or US versus Europe, where you expect those rate curves to compress. I guess the bottom line is that in a time of crisis, central banks go down an elevator, but as they recover from those crises, and they deal with idiosyncratic issues in those particular nations, they come up an escalator and where they get off that escalator will vary. And so the catch usually about going global with your fixed income is then, of course, you're introducing currency risk, which can dominate normal bond volatility. So how do you guys deal with this? For us, volatility and risk management is one of the sort of key tenants. We recognize that owning FX risk is not conducive to running a low volatility portfolio. So in a US dollar, 
based portfolio, we'd hedge out that non-US dollar currency risk. We assess based on the relative value to that US curve. So what that means is after the cost of FX hedging. So today, as an example, you can own an Australian dollar asset and after hedging, pick up about 120 basis points doing the FX hedge. So essentially, you're selling a low yielding currency, the Aussie dollar, to buy a higher yielding currency, the US dollar. Now, that interest rate differential in Europe in the FX forward curve is around 300 basis points. So look for companies who may be issuing in offshore currencies, position for those, overlay that with an FX hedge position to take out the outright currency risk and still be able to pick up on interest rate differentials. So following with that US dollar-based example, for all the concern about globalizing, not just being taking currency risk, but that about ex-US rates can be a lot lower than the US, it's actually kind of one and the same answer because you're hedging currency risk. And then when the interest rate differential is in your favor, i.e. US rates are higher than ex-US, you're actually getting paid to hedge as you just laid out. Absolutely. Okay. Correct. You are getting paid to hedge today as a US dollar investor. Absolutely. Okay. Thanks, Dan. So then, Jason, another thing to hit on is sticking, I guess, with with a U.S.-based example, which is where I'm based. I know it's really common here trying to take advantage of that inverted yield curve. Is this a lot of flows into just basic you know, T-bills or other very short-duration cash substitutes? So obviously, extremely high quality, not thinking global, not introducing any credit. So what would you say to those investors that are just of the simple as good mentality as far as trying to exploit the inverted curve? Yeah, I think that's a clean and easy way to do it. But is that necessarily optimizing it as much as you can, you know, by investing in just T-bills, even if you started the year uh, on a one-year T-bill, you, you were still going to feel some pain this year because we've seen front-end rates move so much. So it doesn't necessarily always mean you're going to be 100% safe sitting in, in T-bills. The other thing is, is you're going to miss out on some of the extra spread you're getting in investment grade credit right now. So, you know, T-bills one year, maybe around high 3%, maybe around 4%, but you can get that over 5% in investment grade credit with one year maturity, a rated name. So really you're just looking to optimize that front end as much as you can by still trying to stay high in quality. And I think that's where you miss out if you just lock in T-bills or T-notes right now. And as the Fed nears the end of the tightening cycle, I'm not saying we're there yet, but when they do near that, you're going to have the ability in a short duration product to be able to optimize your duration some as well, where in the T-bill, you're just going to have reinvestment costs as that rolls that down to maturity. Then you're going to have to go out and try to find something to invest in where being in a short duration fund or ETF, you can manage that duration tactically and, and adjust it as you see the Fed nearing the end of their tightening cycle. Dan, anything you want to add to that? Yeah, absolutely. I think recent years, particularly post the COVID crisis, but even between global financial and COVID, rates were very low. Obviously, a year, year and a half ago, the two-year treasury was only yielding about 10 basis points. So this is what led to, I think, people taking a lot more risk in their portfolios in order to chase that yield. And the whole mantra of TINA, there is no alternative to equities or even a fixed income manager, there is no alternative to you know essentially taking on that extra risk by whether it's illiquidity risk going into private debt or whether it's going down the capital structure or credit spectrum in order to drive yield. So it essentially led investors to chase yield. However, today we see the return of, I guess, what we've coined and 
it's bounced around in the markets a little as well, is CINDY. So CINDY stands for credit is now delivering yield. So essentially, we're saying goodbye, Tina. Hello, Cindy. You can invest in short-dated investment-grade credit today and pick up, as Jason spoke about, you know, a, a decent yield pickup just in the front end of the curve. So one two-year paper, you can get anywhere from 80 to 120 basis points above the treasury curve. And you know you can do so in household names, ones whose balance sheets are strong, where cash flows are somewhat stable and predictable. So we prefer to focus in non-cyclical type names rather than the cyclical names. But we're excited about the front end of rates curves and credit curves because yields just haven't been this high in a long, long period of time. All right. Thanks. I, I knew you would sneak that Cindy acronym in there. You guys love that. And uh for good reason. So maybe last question then to zoom out a little bit, Jason, on the macro picture. So today is October 12th. Just can you recap where we're at on the current Fed funds rate? That's the layup for you. And then what do you see as the terminal rate of this hiking cycle? And then what's the risk to the short duration asset class if you're wrong and the Fed stays hawkish and the terminal rate ends up a lot higher than what you expect? Yeah, sure. It's. Uh, I mean, it's been a... a a big move off zero very quickly from some unusually large hikes of 75 basis points over the last three meetings. And so now they've raised the Fed funds rate by 300 basis points this year. So the upper band sitting at three and a quarter. They're pricing in another 150 basis points, you know, looking at their dots and the market's pretty much pricing that in. So that give us a terminal of about four and three quarters on the upper band. You know, that's probably fair. I think they're, they're going to end up somewhere around that plus or minus maybe a 25 base point hike. Powell was pretty clear in his press conference that they were going to get to there. So take him for his word. The old adage of the, the Fed overpromises and underdelivered this time around because inflation is so high really hasn't come into play. I think they are going to push forward as much as they can. So I guess, you know, you can be wrong and maybe they go higher than that. The other key thing here is not just how high the terminal ends, but historically over the last five hiking cycles, the two-year treasury has peaked out 50 basis points higher than the last hike. So where they've ended up with the terminal rate. So that's something also to consider. So there is some potential more volatility in the front end. So as a front-end investor, you need to make sure that you minimize the amount of duration you have in your portfolio and make sure that as you are going to call that turn or that peak in terminal that you're tactically adding back and you're not getting ahead of yourself. You'd almost rather be late than, than too early. And I think that's kind of the, the key thing to remember there. And then the other thing is that there is more cushion right now for a, a front-end portfolio because if you look at it, you know, right now where yields are at, it's only about 80 basis points of cushion for an ag or intermediate type bond fund. If we saw yields continue to go higher, you have only 80 basis points of cushion where you have about 800 basis points in a short duration vehicle. So there is more cushion now that we've seen this inverted curve with yields much higher. So that's the one thing to the benefit in the front end right now as well. And so the final thing is, is you know, you probably heard both and Dan and I talk is we're excited to talk about front end yields now with this attractive levels that we've seen and it's, we haven't seen this in years. So for me, the other benefit of being in the front end of the curve is obviously today curves are quite deeply inverted. So the two year rate is considerably higher than the 10 year rate. 
And this happens when we approach recession, and particularly in this environment of high inflation where central banks need to raise rates in order to combat inflation. But there will come a point when the Fed has their clear and convincing evidence that inflation is slowing, and then they start to change their focus from inflation to broader economic growth. So we're going to see unemployment tick up. We're going to see growth fall below trend. And at that point, there will be a stage where the Fed will have to cut rates in order to refocus their attention on economic growth. Now, as we spoke about earlier, and Jason mentioned that a pause does not mean a pivot, and we're not suggesting that this is going to happen anytime soon. But when it does, that front end of the curve is going to fall quite significantly. It will outperform, so yields will fall at a faster rate in the two-year part of the curve than the 10-year part of the curve. So you'll also get the additional benefit of capital price appreciation in the front end of the curve when curves re-steepen, when their sort of more natural or normal shape reasserts itself. Well said, guys. Thanks again for the the tour of of short duration. Definitely a hot topic. and I think an important topic for all fixed income investors right now and and ripe with opportunity as long as it's navigated correctly, essentially in a global active sense per Dan and Jason's comments. Thanks a lot, Adam. Thanks, Adam. And thanks listeners for joining again. If you haven't already, you can find more global perspectives on Spotify or iTunes or wherever else you listen. And of course, check out the insights section of the Janice Henderson website for more of the views from our firm. Thanks again and see you next time. The views presented are as of the date published. They are for information purposes only and should not be used or construed as investment, legal or tax advice or as an offer to sell, a solicitation of an offer to buy, or a recommendation to buy, sell or hold any security, investment strategy or market sector. Nothing in this material shall be deemed to be a direct or indirect provision of investment management services specific to any client requirements. Opinions and examples are meant as an illustration of broader themes, are not an indication of trading intent, are subject to change and may not reflect the views of others in the organization. It is not intended to indicate or imply that any illustration or example mentioned is now or was ever held in any portfolio. No forecasts can be guaranteed and there is no guarantee that the information supplied is complete or timely, nor are there any warranties with regard to the results obtained from its use. Janus Henderson Investors is the source of data unless otherwise indicated, and has reasonable belief to rely on information and data sourced from third parties. Past performance does not predict future returns. Investing involves risk, including the possible loss of principal and fluctuation of value. Not all products or services are available in all jurisdictions. This material or information contained in it may be restricted by law, may not be reproduced or referred to without express written permission or used in any jurisdiction or circumstance in which its use would be unlawful. Janice Henderson is not responsible for any unlawful distribution of this material to any third parties, in whole or in part. The contents of this material have not been approved or endorsed by any regulatory agency. Janice Henderson Investors is the name under which investment products and services are provided by the entities identified in the following jurisdictions. A. Europe by Janice Henderson Investors International Limited, registration number 3594615, Janice Henderson Investors UK Limited, registration number 906355, Janice Henderson Fund Management UK Limited, registration number 2678531, Henderson Equity Partners Limited, registration number 2606646. Each registered in England and Wales at 201 Bishopsgate, London EC2M3AE and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority, and Henderson Management SA, registration number B2288 at 2 Rue de Bitburg, L1273, Luxembourg and regulated by the Commission de Surveillance du Secteur Financier. B. The US by SEC registered investment advisors that are subsidiaries of Janus Henderson Group PLC. C. Canada through Janus Henderson Investors US LLC only to institutional investors in certain jurisdictions. D. Singapore by Janus Henderson Investors, Singapore, Limited. Company registration number 1997007828 n
This advertisement or publication has not been reviewed by Monetary Authority of Singapore, e. Hong Kong by Janice Henderson Investors Hong Kong Limited. This material has not been reviewed by the Securities and Futures Commission of Hong Kong, F. Taiwan ROC by Janice Henderson Investors Taiwan Limited, independently operated, Suite 45A1, Taipei 101 Tower, Number 7, Section 5, Sinyi Road, Taipei, 110. Telephone, 02810111001. Approved size license number 023, issued in 2018 by Financial Supervisory Commission. G. South Korea by Janice Henderson Investors, Singapore. Limited only to qualified professional investors, as defined in the Financial Investment Services and Capital Market Act and its subregulations. H. Japan by Janice Henderson Investors, Japan. Limited, regulated by Financial Services Agency and registered as a financial instruments firm conducting investment management business, investment advisory and agency business and type 2 financial instruments business. I. Australia and New Zealand by Janice Henderson Investors, Australia, Limited, ABN 47, 124, 279, 518 and its related bodies corporate including Janice Henderson Investors, Australia, Institutional Funds Management Limited, ABN 16, 165, 119, 531, AFSL 4, 4, 4, 2, 6, 6, and Janice Henderson Investors, Australia, Funds Management Limited, ABN 43, 164, 177, 244, AFSL 4, 4, 4, 2, 6, 8. J. The Middle East by Janice Henderson Investors International Limited, regulated by the Dubai Financial Services Authority as a representative office. No transactions will be concluded in the Middle East and any inquiries should be made to Janice Henderson. We may record telephone calls for our mutual protection, to improve customer service and for regulatory record-keeping purposes. Outside of the US, for use only by institutional, professional, qualified and sophisticated investors, qualified distributors, wholesale investors and wholesale clients is defined by the applicable jurisdiction. Not for public viewing or distribution. Marketing communication. Bloomberg US Aggregate Bond Index is a broad-based measure of the investment grade, US dollar-denominated, fixed-rate taxable bond market. Basis point or BP equals 1 one hundredth of a percentage point. 1 BP equals 0.01%, 100 BPS equals 1%. Correlation measures the degree to which two variables move in relation to each other. A value of 1.0 implies movement in parallel, negative 1.0 implies movement in opposite directions, and 0 implies no relationship. Credit spread, the difference in the yield of corporate bonds over equivalent government bonds. Credit quality ratings are measured on a scale that generally ranges from AAA, highest, to single D, lowest. Diversification neither assures a profit nor eliminates the risk of experiencing investment losses. Duration measures a bond price's sensitivity to changes in interest rates. The longer a bond's duration, the higher its sensitivity to changes in interest rates and vice versa. The Federal Open Market Committee, FOMC, is the body of the Federal Reserve System, Fed, that sets national monetary policy. The FOMC plot is a chart that summarizes the FOMC's outlook for the federal funds rate. Idiosyncratic risks are factors that are specific to a particular company and have little or no correlation with market risk. Quantitative easing, or QE, is a government monetary policy occasionally used to increase the money supply by buying government securities or other securities from the market. Standard deviation measures historical volatility. Higher standard deviation implies greater volatility. Volatility measures risk using the dispersion of returns for a given investment. A yield curve plots the yields, or interest rate, of bonds with equal credit quality but differing maturity dates. Typically, bonds with longer maturities have higher yields. An inverted yield curve occurs when short-term yields are higher than long-term yields. Yield cushion, defined as a securities yield divided by duration, is a common approach that looks at bond yields as a cushion protecting bond investors from the potential negative effects of duration risk. The yield cushion potentially helps mitigate losses from falling bond prices if yields were to rise. Janice Henderson is a trademark of Janice Henderson Group PLC or one of its subsidiaries. Copyright Janice Henderson Group PLC. C1022-46008. 103024TL.